Please join me in prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, our God, who gives and takes away. But Lord, you, what you take away, Lord, you give so much, much more. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for your promises of which we cling to that are unconditional, O oh Lord, which we have assurance of. We thank you for your commands of which, Lord, guide us in our lives uh, as children of you, Lord. I'm thankful for this passage we get to study this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will um, bring to light things of which we have not thought about before. I pray, Lord, that we walk out of this place uh, knowing how to live our lives uh, according to your will. Lord, transform us, build up your church through your word. I, and I pray for those who don't know you this morning that are here, Lord, that you will save them. They will hear the gospel and believe. I pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I have, uh, I have grown to love military history. My dad was a Navy vet who spent over 30 years in the Army Reserves and retired as a Master Sergeant. His father was a Marine. My great uncle fought in both World War I and World War II. My other grandfather fought in World War II, and my uncle, my mom's brother, fought in Vietnam. So I have a deep family history in the military, even though I nor my siblings ever served in the military. But I've always respected and have grown an interest in that, that history. Didn't really appreciate it as a kid, and uh, as I've grown a little bit older, I've uh, grown in greater appreciation for uh, military, military history. And I've, grown, I've enjoyed studying about various wars, but for some reason, World War II is probably the most interesting to me. The background of what was going on in Europe, the rise of a charismatic dictator, and the horrors of the Holocaust. You really see the, the total depravity of this world and the evil that we are all, apart from Christ, capable of doing or being complicit in. But one of the most fascinating uh, to me in history, fascinating things about uh, war history, is the zeal of young men to go to fight in wars back a long time ago. I read about the, the great lengths young men would go just to join in on this mission. Now, this mentality was on display in previous wars, not just World War II, but lots of wars before then. But the young men weren't, they were not being asked to join in. They ran to join in. They, it wasn't of a, well, if I'm needed, I'll serve my country. No, it was, I want to go serve my country and protect our people. And not only that, but the weirdest thing was going on, something that in modern days is hard for us to fathom. Young men who were not of age, not old enough to serve, were lying about their age in order to go serve. And that's one thing that's kind of a head-scratcher for us today, but was almost expected back then. Why? Why would young men do such a thing? Well, they saw their lives as part of something bigger than their individual ambitions. They gave their lives because they counted their lives as insignificant compared to the greater cause. 
Their individual life was subservient to a greater purpose. But we have over the past several, several years flipped that culturally, haven't we? The individual is king now. Now, we as members of Christ Church individually are a part of something greater than our individual selves. Christianity is not merely an individualist faith, yet we, we are personally saved. Christ redeemed me as an individual. We are all personally must repent and believe the gospel. We profess our individual faith through baptism. But you are, as an individual, grafted into the body of Christ, something greater than you. You as an an individual give yourself for the sake of Christ's beloved, the church. But how? And why? Well, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus about the theme of the church. We'll be in verses 1 through 13 of chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, please turn the Black Pew Bible in front of you to page 977. Again, on the occasions I've preached over the past two years, we've been kind of all over the place in Ephesians, which is, is not a bad thing. Uh, because it shows there's a unifying theme to this letter. A few weeks ago, we went through chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 on marriage, which you can't properly understand apart from the overall theme of this letter. But this text we'll look at this morning fits neatly right in the middle of this letter. And so here Paul explains his ministry and sacrifice on behalf of God's people, something greater than even the Apostle Paul. Then we'll see how we will, as our, our, how our lives are reflect this as well, which is interesting because when the apostles of Christ teach us, even though they tell us of their ministry, they call us, or God calls us, to follow their example. How often does Paul say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? So this morning, we will see in verses 1 through 13 that through us giving of ourselves, the church is united, and she is also glorified with Christ. And in the midst of it, we will see how we go about the business of self-sacrifice. But first, the church is united through the giving of ourselves. Look at verses 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... On behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we know the whole scope of Ephesians is about the church as the central plan of God's redemption of the world. But here in the middle of this letter, Paul opens this section with a for this reason. 
The reason for which Paul is talking about points to the previous passage. He was talking about in the previous passage the building Christ has established and is currently sanctifying, which is the church. And as you know from the previous passages on the church from Ephesians, as explained here by Paul, it is the assembly of Jesus-believing Jews and Gentiles who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and who worship him by the Spirit to the glory of the Father. And Paul here calls himself a prisoner for Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Now take a mental note here on the phrase, on your behalf, literally on your behalf here. Because we're going to get back to that a little bit later. But on behalf of the Gentiles, or the nations, literally. As you may recall from the book of Acts... This was the reason why he was, Paul was arrested and put in chains. He was persecuted for his ministry to the Gentiles, as we read in Acts chapters 21 through 24, when he's arrested outside the temple. But we see that the glory of God and the building up of the church was Paul's lifelong aim to preach Christ where he is not named. This was his aim since he was blinded on the road to Damascus. And of which, this particular ministry of Paul, he was in prison and later killed. His love for the church mirrored Christ's love for the church. But Paul lays down here in this section the passage of which he was persecuted for, uh, the message he was persecuted for. Look at, again at verses 2 through 6. He recalls for them what he taught them. His ministry among them was God's plan. Going back to the beginning, the introduction of Ephesians. It was God's secret plan from the ages. It was hidden from all mankind for generations, even though Abraham was taught this by God in Genesis 12. And that his, his offspring would lead to the blessing of all the nations. Gentiles. And we see, we have seen this promise repeatedly in Genesis, haven't we, as we've gone through Genesis this past year. Paul calls it God's mystery. And so what does this Abrahamic promise look like? How is it fulfilled? Well, God's people didn't know fully. They had bits and pieces they didn't know fully until now. This mystery was concealed for ages, but now revealed to the apostles who were God's spokesmen to the church. And what was this mystery? We'll look at verse, verse 6 again. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Hmm. Well, salvation, through the Scripture, salvation only would come to the Jews, Right? Well, isn't that essentially the teaching of the Judaizers in Galatia? Yeah, Jesus, but you have to become circumcised. You have to become Jewish, like one of us, to be saved. Well, Paul had some choice words for those folks there, didn't he? Because the promise of Abraham would not be fulfilled if that were the case. No, salvation comes not only to the Jews, but also to folks from all the nations. In your offspring, all the nations would be blessed, Abraham. Okay, well, but the Jews would be the top dogs in the hierarchy of the church, right? 
Well, no. The Gentiles, the the dogs, the uncircumcised ones, the ones who ate unclean things, the ones who used to worship idols. Now, they are also fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of God's promise in Christ. They are not second-class citizens, but are equal citizens. They are children of Abraham apart from circumcision. They are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, folks, this was the controversial part. Not election or predestination, et cetera, et cetera. They understood that. Now, the inclusion of Gentiles as Gentiles was the controversy. And this teaching led to many persecutions for Paul and much heartache. It was a message they had never heard before, but for, now, for, for us, it's plain as day in the Scriptures. We read Psalm 87. We talked about all these people that were born in Zion that, from Babylon, from uh, Philistia. Strange. They were blinded to it, but now we see it. He continued to explain to the people from the Bible that God's intention of saving people from all over the world, not just Israel. But look, look back at verse 2. What does Paul say about all of this? He said, you have heard of the stewardship, or, or literally plan, of God's grace that was given to me for you. Do you hear that? He said his ministry was God's grace to him. It was God's grace to him for them. He was a conduit of God's grace. It came to him to go through him to the church. But wait a minute. God's grace? Being in prison? Being falsely accused? Being lied about? Being under Roman imprisonment? One day being beheaded? That's God's grace to you, Paul? What are you talking about here? How? Church, God's grace to us is his promoting our likeness to Christ. To be willing to die that others may live. Putting preferences and comforts down that others may be built up or saved. My brother and sister in Christ is more important than me. My lost neighbor's need for Jesus is more important than my reputation for being liked. My children's salvation and walk with the Lord is more important than my career. The question is, how are we dying that others may live? Now, admittedly, this is totally different from how the world perceives things. This is how the world perceives things. Others have to die that I may live. I am the center of the universe. Jesus is all about me. He's my co-pilot. The church is just the avenue for my spiritual growth, if I really even need the church. The church is where I get my needs met. And if it doesn't, I'll, I'll just go somewhere else down the street. <sighs> I don't really like that type of people that's come to the church now. They're not the people I usually associate with. Yes, they seem to love Jesus. That's great, but they look different. Let's find somewhere else for them to to let go. Folks, these are worldly ideas. These thoughts are not from above. They are not from the Holy Spirit. 
Now, how we understand things, like the Apostle Paul's understanding our relation to the, the church is one that imitates Christ. A suffering service for the building up of her. The bearing of one another, which is a lost art in today's consumerist mentality in which we have a church in every corner. We can go, we get upset, we can go somewhere else. So the bearing with one another. The church's members are all united through us, a giving of ourselves. Marriage requires self-denial. Parenthood requires self-denial. When mama needs a rest from taking care of the kids all week, when daddy's out of town for business, she's giving of herself there. The husband must die to himself and take care of the kids for a while and let mama go out for a time to die to himself. Parents have to die to themselves when they have a hard day at work and need some good sleep, but your youngest child is throwing up. You have to strip them down and bathe them and clean them up in that mess at 2 a.m. A dying to self, a giving up of self, a giving up of self that others would live, that others would flourish, lowering yourself to exalt Christ, to exalt the other. So the question is, are we... Are we consumed with how we are used in the church? Are you even concerned about being used in the church? In many of today's churches, we are so consumed with finding our, 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 our ministries, finding our spiritual gifts, when the Bible really has very little to say about it. It does say some about it, but not a whole lot. There's much more talk about serving the needs of the church wherever they may come than fulfilling your calling. Maybe you're so tightly clenching to something you've done for years in the church when you should be training up someone else to take your place and be satisfied and and thrilled if they're better at it. As pastors, we seek constantly to train people to do what we do better. We want to find men that are better shepherds, better preachers, better administrators than us. You know why? Because the kingdom of heaven is not about me and or dependent upon me. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's actually our jobs as pastor. And because of that, I may become second fiddle. But you know what? The kingdom of God may flourish better because of that. And that goes for, for all of us. No member here owns the church. Christ owns the church. His word governs the church, not what's popular or what we've always done. His word is our authority, and when you stray from it, that's when you get in trouble. And that means when we get together as a church, that's where our preferences go to die. That's where I go to die. That's where I go to die that others may live. Every one of us comes to bring God honor and glory to build up one another. When we have a call to worship, it's God who calls us to worship. We don't come to him. He comes to us and calls us in to worship him. We go to die. And in and, and, and all of this, too, brothers and sisters, there's a freedom to this. There's a peace of mind in that. The kingdom doesn't stand or fall based on me. It's God's glory, not ours. And that leads us to the second point 
the church displays God's glory through our giving of ourselves. Look at verses 7 through 13. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask that you not lose heart over what I am suffering on behalf of you, which is your glory. Look here at verse 7. Paul repeats himself about God's grace to him. God's grace made him a minister of the gospel. It was all from God's power, not Paul's doing. Look at all the passive verbs in this passage. Was given, was made known, made minister. God is the subject. Paul, and we for that matter, are objects. It's all the work of God. Think back. Think, remember Paul's history. He was a zealous Pharisee, upholding the law almost perfectly, highly esteemed by his peers, persecutor of Christians. He lived a life free from persecution, but headed straight for hell. Now, and at the time of this letter, by God's grace, he is living a life of persecution, but headed straight for heaven. This is God's grace to him. Now, it is not in the here and now. He's a prisoner currently in, in, in this letter. A prisoner. Not in the here and now, but what lies ahead for him and for all who love Jesus. This is where his eyes are. And he says in verse 8 that he is the least of, not just the apostles, but the least of the saints. He had been a persecutor of the church and an overseer of the death of Stephen, who was an early deacon of the church in Jerusalem. But look what he says again. Grace was given to him, not just to be saved, but to be a preacher to the Jewish elites. No, to be a preacher to the Gentiles of the unsearchable riches of Christ. What we have lost, what we all have lost because of Jesus, we gain so much more in Jesus now and in the world to come. As we continue on to this passage. So what is the cosmic result of this grace? Grace preaching to Gentiles? Not to the great, to the great, to the Gentiles? What is this grace? What is the result of this? Look at verses 9 through 13 again. And to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith, our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering on behalf of you, which is your glory. 
Look at this passage, this beautiful explanation of what is going on. A show is happening. A cosmic, glorious orchestration is being manifested. The mystery hidden for thousands and thousands of years is revealed by God who created everything. A greater show of God's glory and splendor than even creation. Do you hear that? What God is doing here is describing this passage as a greater miracle, a greater spectacle than creation itself. The creation of Christ's church. The creation of the earth in six days has nothing on raising the dead to life and what he is doing in the world to come. That through the church, the assembly of redeemed Jews and Gentiles by Christ, God's glorious and unsearchable wisdom is displayed for all heavenly powers to see. In other words, all the angels gaze in amazement at the spectacle, at the show of what God is doing. Michael the archangel, Gabriel, all the heavenly hosts, all the cherubim, all the seraphim, all of them are seeing God do his greatest artwork, his greatest feat. And they get to take part of this cosmic reconciliation. And you know who else does? You and me. Isn't it amazing that you and I are part of something so spectacular too? The church is the the centerpiece of God's reconciliation of all creation, visible and invisible with Christ being its head. And we see in verse 11, and going back to the beginning of Ephesians, that this wasn't plan B. This wasn't an accident. We see in chapter 1 of Ephesians this. Now, no, this was God's eternal plan for us. His eternal plan for the world. Not, oops. Messed up, I've got to choose another people to do this or this or that. No, this was his plan from the ages. Plan A. So much so that Paul leads this to, to an application for us. So much so that we could come to him with boldness and access with confidence. Because of this, because of our union with Jesus Christ, the head of the church. I could call upon my Father at all times. Because of Christ's blood, I can enter the Holy of Holies in prayer. Don't you see this? This wonderful display of what God is doing, that we are partakers of this, that we are are, are part of something so much bigger, not just ourselves, but bigger than anything. We have access in Christ because we've been united to Christ. We can pray to God as our Father. We can have access to the one who commands angels, to the one who has power over all things. We could talk to him as Father. You go to the Space and Rocket Center and you you go to the, the, the theater and see how enormous all of creation is. It just goes on and on and on. And we are just... Uh, not even the size of a, I mean, it's just, it just goes on and on. And to think about how, what's going to be like when it's recreated. And perfect. No longer tainted with the fall. We get to be a part of that. So this right here. This is why Paul closes this passage with a request that they don't lose heart because of what he is suffering. What is he suffering for? And 
For whom? For them. For us. For the glory of the church. And he kind of bookends this section with this phrase. He starts with a a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then closes with a, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering on your behalf. Now go back to that mental note before. Remember that phrase, on your behalf. The repetition of the Greek prepositional phrase, huper humon, on your behalf. We see this in verse 1, see it in verse 13. But here in verse 13, he has an addition to it. On your behalf, which is for your glory. He suffers for the glory of Christ and his church. In other words, Paul says, don't worry about me. My heart and mind are set on the glory to come, which surpasses all the pain I endure today. But that pain is for you, bride. He suffers for you as Christ has suffered for us, his beloved, his church. And this serves as an indirect call for all of us to suffer or to give up ourselves for the church of God with an eye on the cosmic workings of God as he's currently doing and on the glory to come. The church's glory is displayed and manifested through our giving of ourselves. When, when I was on the football team at Alabama, I, I learned a hard lesson. Every morning I, I got up at 5 a.m., and I went to the workouts with the team and go through these excruciating workouts while being yelled at, being cussed at the whole time. And they were, they were an hour. Uh, they seemed like they were five hours. I mean, it's just unreal. Then in the afternoons, after a full day of class, I'd go to team meetings and the daily grind of hot practices just like the rest of the team. And you know what I did on most Saturdays during football season? I was in the stands with the rest of the fans. Not on the field, not on the sidelines with my crimson jersey, put in all the same work, the grind, the rear end chewings like the rest of the team. But I only got to dress out, I only got to run out of the tunnel twice in my college football career. That was tough. Why? Well, as a 19 and 20-year-old, I was consumed with myself. I was on on the scout team, which means you practice against the starters during uh, the season and and run the opposing team's plays. I helped prepare the guys who actually would play on Saturdays. But I was consumed with myself. I didn't play didn't even get to be on the, the sideline most games. But I didn't see my work through a bigger picture. Alabama football was, was bigger than Daniel Weaver, number 43. The team's success was more important than my individual glory. I know that now. But as a 19 and 20-year-old kid, I hated that. Now, I know what you're thinking. Football is just a game. It is just a game. Again, a a phrase at at 19, 20 years old, I I would have been very angry at hearing. Now, yes, it is just a game. But 
and it has no eternal bearing, but it, it, the principle remains. You give yourself up for something bigger than yourself. Our giving ourselves leads to God's, the church's glory. These Gentiles Paul writes to here were co-heirs of all the riches of Christ. Nothing withheld from them. They were co-heirs of the riches of Christ. Abraham's children. Inheritors of of all, all the splendor, all the glory that Christ has prepared for his bride. All of this. Because Paul told them about Jesus. Speaking of Christ to people requires a dying to self. It requires getting out of our comfort zone. It requires most of the time you're not going to get any reward for. It requires us stepping out in faith. And what's the motivation for all of it? It's not guilt. Was Paul motivated by guilt when he was proclaiming the gospel to the Ephesians, to in Athens and Corinth? No. God's glory had so blinded them, he didn't see rejections as failure. Love of Christ and love of his people, of potential Christians, people that the Lord was going to save. That's what motivated him to tell them about Jesus and what he has done. So what motivates you in evangelism? Is it guilt or God's glory? Paul suffered because of his evangelism. So don't worry if you get rejected. Paul was rejected a lot more than you were. But he suffered for his evangelism. It cost him something. It cost all of us something to tell others about Jesus. But you know what? Do you know how you know Jesus? Do you know how you got saved? Do you know how you got to be an heir of all the riches of Christ? Because someone gave up themselves and told you about them. Because someone gave up themselves and purchased you a Bible and gave it to you. That you may read and read of the gospel of Jesus Christ and call upon his name and be saved. God's glory, the glory of the church is of much greater importance than our comforts. Are we willing to give up our individual kingdoms so that his kingdom will grow and flourish? So this section of Ephesians reminds us that the church is the central plan of God's redemptive work. So those in Christ should also give up ourselves for her glory. It calls us as believers to give our lives for the sake of Christ and his church. The kingdom of God is is bigger than Providence Baptist Church. We acknowledge this by planting other churches and blessing them and praying for them. That is a staple of what we will always do as, as a church body. We are pray for other churches, pray for their flourishing. Pray for as we plant other churches that they will flourish because God, God's kingdom is bigger than Providence Baptist Church. One of the reasons why we came, became members here before we ever came on staff because that was the mentality, and I pray that that stays the mentality. But Providence Baptist Church is bigger than you and me individually. Her flourishing is more important than us individually. Providence Baptist Church is, is, our, is uh, the redeemed community here of which we serve. So what can we do? Well, maybe 
you, you and I, maybe we need to step up into a role which uh, we were scared to do previously, where there is a need, and there are lots of needs. Maybe you need to give up your role or, or service or position you've been holding on to so, for so long in order to train someone else to do it. Not just give it up, but to train someone else to do it. And if they're better at it, praise God, because God's going to get all the glory. There's so much, uh, we want to grab onto glory when we should just let God do it. When, Paul, when Paul's talking about other men that were preaching the gospel from false, even false pretenses, he says, I praise God that they are preaching that Christ is being proclaimed. Because in all of this, when we give up ourselves for, for, for the flourishing of others, that's faithfulness. And God sees that. And he blesses us. Maybe it's you giving up your beloved sleep in the morning in order to meet a coworker for an evangelistic Bible study because that may be the only time they can meet. Maybe it's watching someone else's kids while they have a medical emergency. And I've seen so many doing that, and I praise God that I'm seeing that. It's a, it's a spurring on for myself as well to be like that. Maybe it's a visit to a homebound member Maybe you have a coworker that has brought up spiritual things. They've been uh, uh, antagonistic for so long, but now they're starting to talk about spiritual things. And now you have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So whatever it may be, maybe it's small, maybe it's big, we imitate our Savior as we imitate his apostles and the giving of ourselves for the good of his kingdom. So listen, we, we are a part of a, a great, grand story that is bigger than us. Don't you love the poetry of, of Ephesians? How Paul displays that. You're just, just picture in your mind what, what God is doing here. It's bigger than us, bigger than us individually. But by God's grace, each one of us who knows Jesus gets to be a part of it. But maybe you are here today and you are tired and you are burdened. And I know some of you are. And some of you need to admit it. Remember, your labor is not in vain. Look at this passage again. Look at what, what God is accomplishing through us. He's doing it through us. He has chosen his church to do this. Look how, look how God used Paul for the accomplishment of his purposes. His labor was not in vain. And yours isn't as well. All things done to his glory will not be used in vain. It will not be in vain. So we can rest in this, mentally rest in this. We can't do everything, but what we can do for his kingdom greatly matters, and he sees. Now, maybe you were here this morning, and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. And you're asking, you keep talking about this Jesus who, who suffered. Why did he suffer, you may be asking. Why did he give himself for us? Well, he suffered because God is a perfect God, a righteous God. He is good and he is perfect. And we are not. We are prideful. We are lustful. We are angry. We are selfish, etc., etc. And in your heart of hearts, you know this. You know you fall short. And we've been separated from God by our sin. But Christ came into this world to live a perfect life of 
selflessness and purity. He died to take on the punishment for our sins on our behalf. He rose that we may have eternal life on our behalf, that we may be reconciled to God. So do you want to be reconciled to God? Trust in this good news now. Confess your sin and believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose from the grave and be reconciled to God. Church, we give our lives for his kingdom because he gave his life for us. That's the motivation, his glory. Out of grace for what he has done, I give my life to my loving Father, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that his kingdom may thrive. It's not dependent upon me. It's not falling apart if I mess up. It's not going to succeed because I'm somebody great, but he uses us as instruments. That's an important metaphor for us. We're instruments for his glory. We serve him that he may be glorified and that the church may manifest this glory eternally. And it's important, too. Remember, we don't give our lives for a nation or institution that is temporary. Everything we see here is going to rise and it's going to fall. But we, would, we serve and give our lives for an institution, something, a kingdom that is eternal. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, even in my own life, Lord, this is a struggle for me to, to die to self, to live, that others may gain. But, Lord, this is what your kingdom is, how it's pictured. No one can see God, but when we have love for one another, your, your glory is manifested. Lord, we know the promises of which they're unconditional. You are going to accomplish your purposes. And you do it through means. You do it through instruments like us that we get to take part of. Lord, help us to die to our own ambitions, to our own egos, to everything, Lord, that you may be glorified. There's something, Lord, that we will be battling until we see you. But Lord, we are in the battle, not alone. We have you, we have the Holy Spirit, we have our brothers and sisters to battle uh, together with. And Lord, give us grace for today. Help us to remember this throughout our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.